Hello and welcome back to Let Christy Take It, uh, our pop culture podcast. Uh, thanks for all the feedback we got off our first episode. It was really positive. Um, lots of good suggestions and ideas for future shows. Uh, it's encouraged us to go on and keep doing what we're doing. So we, we hope you still find us interesting after a few weeks, and especially after today's episode, which I'm sure you will. I'll hand you over to Derek now, who's going to tell you what today's episode is going to be all about. Uh, yeah, firstly, I just want to you know, uh, back up what, what Kieran said there. The feedback we've gotten um, from the first introductory podcast was overwhelming and thanks very much. Today's episode is going to be about the 1979 version of Stephen King's Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot was Stephen King's second book. The first book was Carrie and it, a lot of writers, directors, anyone in the arts have there's the course of the second project. And his second project was even more successful than the first book. It was picked up um, to be made into a movie. Subsequently, that decision, which we're going to talk about later in the podcast, uh, didn't come to fruition. And it was decided that they were going to make a TV miniseries. Uh, it was filmed in Ferndale, California. As I said, it was shown first in the US in 1979. It eventually made it to the screens in the UK and Ireland in 1981. And uh, over the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour, we're going to discuss our feelings towards the miniseries, how it impacted us, um, and uh, hopefully you will find it enjoyable. Yeah, and I think like what's interesting there, that it aired in America in 1979. It took two years to get to Europe and to be screened. Like you think of today, if you want to watch something now that aired in the USA, 10 minutes ago and you can nearly get it immediately so imagine and, and like i know personally and i think sure you're the same Derek. i knew nothing about salem's lot before i seen the miniseries i the book i had knew nothing about so the, the, the miniseries introduced me to the book but uh, when it aired like i was 10 how old were you so uh, if you were 10 i was probably four <laughs> <laughs> no i was probably i think 81 i was eight yeah so like these without like no internet so nobody knew what this team was uh, it just kind of snuck up on you but we'll talk about all that and how it affected us later on we give a bit of background to the to the Salem's Lot story so like Stephen King as Derek said wrote this difficult second novel which actually it was twice the size of Carrie King Carrie's just a little over 200 pages this was 700 pages so it was a massive massive endowment uh, and he wanted to do he was a, an English teacher by trade, uh, you might notice there's a common thread to a lot of his books that it's the struggles of English teachers and novelists. Well, the, the main protagonists in a lot of his books are writers. Yeah, so that and he has it's a, he holds a common thread. But he was teaching a class English, uh, and Dracula, uh, science fi literature, I think something like the horror and science fi literature, and. Those who have read the book, and we're not going to dwell a lot on the book because to what to, to me, and I think Derek agrees, the the def, definitive version of it is this mini series. We're not even going to discuss the later the mini series. Book is way too expansive. Yeah, I mean the amount of characters in the book that he manages, you know, he juggles very well. Yeah, um, it would be just you would need a series of podcasts, four or five, just. And you think if Salem's Lot was made now, I, I was just thinking this last night, if Salem's Lot was made now, it would be a Netflix production. Well, it is being made now. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, it is. But I think it probably will end up being like a, a, a probably 10 hour long episode if they stick loyally to the book. I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to follow the same uh, format that It, Stephen King's It, the remake of It, yeah. took part one and part two. I, off the top of my head, I don't know who's directing, but I know James Wan is producing it, yeah. or at least that, that was the name attached. Oh, it's probably gone, gone back a while now with the COVID. Uh, a lot of productions have gone back. So 
I can I can remember vividly the first time I ever seen Salem's Lot, and I seen it when it was on TV for the first time. I was, as I said, eight, maybe eight or nine, and I was staying overnight at my grandparents' house in Ballyfermot, and I watched it with my uncle Joe, and I was terrified. Yeah. I, and I mean, when I say terrified. I mean terrified. The image of the the vampire child, uh, Ralphie Glick played by a very, very young uh, Ron Scribner, uh, coming in through the, the window uh, to, to bite his brother, Danny Glick, uh, played by Brad Savage. It, it was, icon- I think it's still one of the most iconic horror images and characters uh, of, of all time. Yeah, and, and the, 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 like Ralphie's expression is a smile, a satanic smile. And a lot of this was filmed in reverse. So you, you imagine like how it was all done. So they done they would start at the bite and go backwards to the window scene. And so it adds to the artistic effect. And Toby Hooper was a, a, a really up and coming director. He had, he had just made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which had launched them. I think he made for seven hundred thousand dollars, but it turned out so, so when, once they decided to, they were going to make it the TV version. They they actively went after him. There was a lot of other stories about directors. And well, there was there was George A. Romero and uh, William Freakin were all linked to it, but Freakin and Romero wouldn't touch TV. At the time, TV, this was a new thing for Salem's Lot, for films we made for TV. Now TV is the new cinema, and it's it's a lot of actors preferred it. But James Mason literally said, I will only work if it's a really good script, and that's why he picked it. Because to work on TV was seen as a step down, and a lot of actors didn't want to do it. I know there was other choices for the, for the role of and Ben. That, that's, that um, way of thinking went on until only a couple of years ago. You, you, you had your TV actors, and you had your movie actors, yeah. and very, very rarely did they did it cross over. I think it was only in the last fifteen years people like George Clooney going from TV to become this mega superstar. Yeah, and probably Sopranos was the keystone there of good t good TV crossing over to cinematic cinematic TV. Cinematic TV. TV. But Toby Hooper had he had all these artistic ideas, and he was allowed to kind of run run wild with them and do things. Like I think he saw that he what he could do on TV with his like his artistic vision was scared the living crap out of people and take all of the elements even though you're you are com- compressing them for a three-hour event one an hour and a half you know an hour and a half each night he could use his artistic uh, expertise to you whether it's with the music with the imagery with the you know the the, the premise of the vampire itself and produce what what we has produced or did produce yeah. what i think is one of the most iconic miniseries of all time. So as, um, as Derek was saying, he said, I've seen it quite young and I know we, we discovered it by chance because my father was, he turned on BBC One to watch Faulty Towers and it when he turned her on when Mr. Barrow was being transported in the back of the truck and it's moving up and I remember saying, oh, what's this? This looks like, well, what, this looks a bit freaky and then he hopped out of the chair and had a few of the frights. I remember the claw when uh, Ned Tibbet, uh, not Ned, uh, running out of the room. Which guy? The guy he's running out. Remember, he's caught with his wife and he runs out and the claw comes out. The guy who owned the real estate agents. Yeah. Crockett. Larry, Crockett. Larry yeah, Crockett. Larry Crockett. Yeah, that's right. So that's he hopped off the chair. That so that And I hopped off the chair. But again, I couldn't sleep for weeks. So we're going to discuss Salem's Lot as uh, the miniseries rather than all the other ones that went on around in the book. Because in the book, as I said, he was teaching English. He stuck very closely to the direct, direct look on the line. The handsome, kind of charismatic vampire... Uh, you know, all that kind of lead and stuck to the direct list. So I, I think, I think, I think they, they improved on it in, in the. Well, they, they improved on it because um, 
they, as you said, the book had a very suave, very uh, debonair vampire lead, uh, a modern day vampire, like an old vampire, but living in the modern day. And what they wanted to do was to use a scary vampire. So that's why they, that the image of the almost Nosferatu, the Max Shrek image. Um, oh, that's why they're there. That's one of the reasons why it didn't get a, theatrical, a theatrical release, because there was two other vampire movies uh, being released in the same time. There was the 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 remake of the Nosferatu, and there was also another dra- remake of Dracula. So they didn't think there was space for a third, and that was one of the reasons why they pushed it towards TV. Mm, yeah. You know. So I, I, I get sidetracked when we're talking about all this stuff, and I, I was talking earlier on about how when I watched it in Ballyfermot, and I watched it with my uncle, and I went to bed that night, and I was absolutely shaking with fear, and. Uh, my uncle, who was in the other bed across from me, stuck his hand out of the sheets up to the window. <laughs> set rattling on the window like the vampire. And I held, <laughs> calling for my grandmother and my grandfather to come in and save me from yeah. the vampires. Yeah, no, I would just say, I was terrified. And even last night researching, I uh, pulled the blinds down because you're looking at these clips online and you think, well, it's still, it brings back that fear. And you have that fear when you're a child, it brings that back to you, that nervousness and the heart beating. And, even though the other time you turn off the delights and that night and you'd kind of run up the stairs a bit quicker, waiting on that hand to come in between the banners and grab your ankle. But uh, yeah, so it had a lasting effect. I think that's why we still love it and that's why we still talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would have been uh, something that would have piqued my interest or started to be interested into sort of movies and TV and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Or really, and, and books. But the, the main character in Salem's Lot is a guy called Ben Mears. As Kieran mentioned, Ben Mears is a, a writer, and the the main characters in a lot, I would say, a lot of Stephen King's horror novels are writers, and he 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 puts himself in most of his books, or he likes to, he, what he does is he 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 puts himself in the situation of what he would do in this paranormal situation. So Ben Mears was played by an actor called David Soul, and at that point in 1979, David Soul was probably one of the biggest actors on TV. He was one of the co-leads of probably the most uh, popular TV show on the planet, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. And uh, a, 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 a well-respected singer, he had a couple of hits. Oh, he did? Yeah, so what's a Silver uh, Lady. And don't and Give Up On Us. Don't Give Up On Us, baby. I won't sing it. Um, but yeah, so, and the reason he was in Starsky and Hutch were getting sidetracked again, they couldn't get rid of him. And they, he had his fight to his producers, but the producer always said, after you made Starsky and Hutch, never name a TV show after it's two main stars, because you're stuck with them. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I read that before yeah. as well. You, there's no way uh, you can you can call in another Starsky. No, because he was Starsky and You know, they're still, to this day, still lifelong friends. They go to um, the conventions together. You know, you see photographs of, Paul Michael Glazer wheeling David Saul in, in, in the in the wheelchair. Yeah, and uh, he was in Dublin. And it's one of my regrets. He did, I think he done Cat on a Hot Roof in the Dundrum Theatre. And he, yeah, he was here for, I think, a month, doing a residency for a month, and I never went. It's one of my regrets. So a friend of mine met him in the airport and said he was an absolute gentleman. Like, he would chat easily about Salem's lot and his career. And he said he was a really nice guy. He, he, I've read stuff over the years that he was supposed to be very difficult. A difficult character, difficult actor, He, you know, he had his troubles and you know yeah. he, I think he's living in England now he, yeah I think he's so based in England but uh, David Soul I did, I, no, I, I, 
a kind of a mixed reaction to Saul. I like him in the role. There's some people who read the book and just don't like him, don't think he suits the well, role. I think in the book, the, the character of, of Susan Norton, his girlfriend yeah, to be, yeah. was much younger. Yeah. And the character of the writer, Ben Mears, was much older. So even that drew a lot of criticism in the yeah. book and, and even in, in the miniseries, you know. Yeah, um, well, I, I liked him the lead. I tell you, he was quite in, intense in the scenes he needed to be, and he, he does portray fear. You can see it, like you just see it in his eyes. Uh, I think, and it shows a warmth towards his old teacher and and the, the young lad, um, Mark. Mark yeah, Mark he shows a yeah, he shows a kind of father figure to him, um, and, I, and you only see it in in in, in the TV show in, in many series and glances, but. Uh, most of the casting sounds that was good, I thought. And the actors, you had comedians uh, coming in and playing against type, and you know, and they work well. So the female lead, Bonnie Bedelia, for fans of action films, was also Miss John McClane. Yeah, Die Hard. And, the Die Hard and her nephew went on to. Her nephew was uh, in the. Uh, 80s, 90s, 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. 90s would have been probably the biggest child actor on the planet, Macaulay Culkin. And now our other nephew, Kieran, is doing well. He's a quite established. Kieran Culkin, yeah, yeah, he's in that Succession TV show. It's very good. It's well, uh, I, I was reading uh, during the week there on that she was quite focused. So without saying difficult, I was reading an interview with uh, Julia Cobb, who said that um, Boom Boom Bunny, Boom Boom Bunny, who said that she was uh, quite intense on set and focused and a real pro. To me, does that really difficult? I don't know, but but she was a comedian, so she's probably coming in from a comedian. She's probably coming in from a different aspect also, from, from an actor in Star Trek, and she was in Star Trek. Yeah. But her, her father was uh, Lee Jacob, who the Exorcist, yeah, who was in the Exorcist, and there is a kind of a thread through the Exorcist with, with Franken, uh, Lee Jacob. Um, so there's that kind of connection as well. And then who was in the Exorcist three? Ed Flanders. Ed Flanders, yeah. So there's a connection there with the supernatural in Salem's Lot. So Ed even Flanders more. played uh, Dr. Bill Norton, um, Susan's father. Susan was the female lead, played by Bonnie Bedelia, who eventually hooked up with David Soul. And when this vampire plague hit, they tried their best to to um, to clear it out. But and we should also we should have said at the start spoiler alert if you haven't oh, seen yeah. spoiler Lock. alert if you haven't uh, seen Salem's Lot probably turn this off I think after 40 years though I think that's yeah, yeah. so um, so the, the show was born out of the want to make a movie Carrie had been very very successful um, and the second book they jumped on it straight away you know it's like Will Lightning Strike Twice and a couple of scripts were written for Salem's Lot, and they were they just didn't hit the money. In fact, I believe one script, the the, the writer was thrown out of the room and said, "Don't ever come back in again." It was atrocious, yeah. really bad. Yeah, um, they signed up the very very big time directors, uh, William Friedkin and George A. Romero, the director of uh, Night of the Living Dead. At one point, were both on board to create these films, and when it was deemed that the the book was just so expansive. And so big, almost like an opus for its time, the decision was made to go to the TV route. And at that point, uh, George A. Romero just deemed that he, he wasn't able to put his vision of gore and blood and guts on the screen with the restrictions that were placed against the TV directors. Yeah, and, and when you were filming, they, would, they had a theoretical, uh, theoretical uh, print in mind. 
and uh, they would also reshoot scenes. Theoretical. Theoretical, yeah. That's. Uh, Oh, that's theoretical. Theatrical. <laughs> theatrical, yeah. <laughs> You're as bad as me. But they would reshoot scenes and have a bit more gory and for the for the uh, cinema version that was going on in Europe. Now, I've seen, I actually went to a screening a few years ago in the Lighthouse Cinema and they showed Sam's Law and they, that, was the, that was the one they showed. And it was great because the, the film had the, the crackles and you could see the, like, the run yeah. of the reels. But, uh, too short. Yeah, too short. Skipped over way too much. Too, too much material. Yeah, because I was watching it and like I had rang them and said, like, I'm going to get parking, so... Like if I started at eleven p.m., so I said the car park be closed at like three a.m. because I got to hang back talk, and he said, "Oh no, you'll 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 be okay for parking." And then I knew, like, I said, "Hang on, I shouldn't be at the scene already." And I was getting there really quickly. Yeah, cut the piece, and it lost so much. It lost so much. And that's why, for me, the definitive. Um, I mean, there's been the the movie version of Salem's Lot. There was the return to Salem's Lot. Then they remade Salem's Lot in two thousand four with Rob Lowe. Yeah. And I've, I've watched it all and I just think it's all. I haven't even watched it. I, no. Why would you, why would you drive a Fiat after having a Ferrari? Like I wouldn't even watch that new Sam's Law. What, what's the point? And I find now that's what's wrong with a lot of King, the, the remaking of stuff. I think Stephen King has too much influence to be honest. And the directors haven't got that creative freedom. I, I agree with you to a point. I agree with the fact that a lot of the remakes are very poorly done or not a lot of heart in them. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is that, as you said, Salem's Lot was filmed 40 years ago, 1979. Filmed in 76, 77. Yeah, yeah really 79. Um, and how many 18-year-olds will actively seek out that 40-year-old version? Like the, for, for, as, just using that as an example, It. It was a TV miniseries in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry playing Pennywise. And it was okay. It wasn't great. It was okay, but to me, Penny, what Tim Curry was amazing in it. But the remake, and they got a really good director on, and they they broke it into two parts. That inspired or you know ignited a flame in the youth, you know, wanting to 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 investigate it and to bring more um, exposure to Stephen King. You know, so that's the only thing I'll say about remakes. Sometimes. It's a generational thing. It brings the story afresh. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's better. It doesn't mean what it might do is even if, if like this new version of Salem stuff that they're gonna do, even if it's not as good, if one person won't makes be. it, okay, it won't be. But let's <laughs> fingers crossed. Even if you have one, two guys that say, "Oh my God, I really like that." I wonder what the original was like. Yeah. And then you know the 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 interest is raised again in mm. in. In Salem's Lot. That's that's my take on remakes and re, you know redos and all this kind of stuff. You mentioned uh, Pennywise. There is a theory that I know. I think it's mentioned in the book that Pennywise became a vampire, and that they actually some people think that Barlow is Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. Well, that in one of the, in the book he becomes a vampire, and there's that theory as well. Um, but I, like I said, I tried to show my fifteen uh, year old Salem's Lot. I said, sure, I watched it when I was ten. I said, Sam, you're bored. Like you're saying, oh, when is the action happening? And you know. Well, that was a very, uh, it was a big criticism of the miniseries and still is a, a big criticism of the miniseries that it's three hours long, it's broken down into these 1.5 sections and really the only action is the last 10 minutes of the first part. But for me, I completely disagree with it. Action is one thing and tension and building on the supposition and, bit, bit, you know, layer and layer and... You know, there's never a quiet moment in Salem's Lot for me. 
you're always thinking what's going on there oh my god what's happening there and it's slowly it's like walking up a hill and yeah eventually you just get to the peak yeah. and you're bollocks well, so like 1981 who had a video player in uh in in uh, Ireland, not many people I would not imagine. Many. So you couldn't record it and fast forward it. You got to sit with it. You got to stay with yourself. You had that patience to see a film through. But you you look at uh, Harry Suckman's score. Like to me, that this, from the opening scene, that music sets the tone. And then even then, the, the, when when Ralphie's knocking at the window, that music to me it's it it, it borrows heavily from the Jaws kind of. Well, it's it's as it's as oh, is it is it as recognizable? Probably not, but definitely it's scary to those who know it. It is, but so, if you hear that music, I guarantee it. For if you are driving down a country lane, not a light on, and that music come on, you change the station. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So five years ago, my eldest daughter was ten, and I decided, okay, we're going to uh, we're going to watch Salem's Lot. Oh, what's Salem's Lot? Oh, Salem's Lot. It's a, it's a horror. You know, it's a TV miniseries, and it's we're going to watch it. And I put it on. I didn't get past the opening credits where. Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. Because the music, the yeah. music alone yeah. was so scary. And I think as well, the, the way that it's filmed, it's it's filmed on that TV ratio. It's not HD. It was, it was recorded on film. I think I read somewhere as well. There's no way that it can be upgraded to HD. So you're always going to have that version. Yeah. So that grainy. Which adds to it. Which does that with what we were saying last week? Like gloss. It's like the old video recording, the tracking slightly off on a horror movie. It adds to the fear. Like, I mean, I know they released what was the film where somebody finds a tape and they put it in, was it the ring? Where they put the ring. The, and the characters come alive. Like, if you filmed on that, imagine finding the Salem's Lot walking down, there's an old videotape with nothing on it, and you just stick this in and you don't know what it is, and you're watching it. Like, it would add to it, and the tracking is slightly off, and it's rolling fast forward a little bit, and the tape's getting loose. It adds to the whole feeling yeah, of terror. Uh, adds to the terror abject terror that's what i can i can remember vividly and, and when i watched it on the tv it was years later obviously when we got videotapes and oh salem's lock you know we have yeah. them, and people are swapping tapes and renting and all that kind of stuff and watching it again probably when i was probably very early teens probably 12 13 14 watching it again and i, I, I couldn't tell you how many times i've seen it as part of the research for this i watched i rewatched it yeah again. me too last night and, and read lots of you know I love it. But I remember we we eventually got it came back on, you know, we'd be waiting for my dad to check the paper, see if Sam's lost back on. We recorded it on Betamax and uh, my dad say, Don't talk while it's recorded because your voice will come over the tape. So <laughs> I said to every mouth show because we asked him, What happens? I, I, I don't look at this bit. And he said, Shh, yeah, be quiet. Hey, on the tape. So mm -hmm. I can remember when I was a kid, my old man used to record uh, music from one cassette to another. Cassette. And were you there to pause at the ads? No, with, no, with the uh, two microphones. And God, what would you if you open the door? Well, get out, you fucking thing I'm recording you! But uh, I remember doing that. But I remember we got to know on UTV, especially because BBC had no ads, but on UTV we were recording, remember we were recording Jaws, and there was a little box that came up in the right corner. That would, uh, that would, sig would signal that the ads would come up. Yeah. That's a quick get out there! And you get ready to pause it. And so even if you even if you if you went into thirty seconds of the ad, you could stop the video recorder, rewind, rewind it. Yeah, that's right. We'll look for it. Pause. pause it. Yeah, get it clean. Pause so, and record. You know, isn't it? a lot of movie editors in the making there. So I, I can tell you that uh, my brother used to almost he could cut in trailers. Yeah. So he would you know take trailers from a different film and cut. And we'd keep their videotapes, yeah. yeah. There you go. So, Put a tape on the back of them. Yeah, yeah well, so back to Salem's Lot. Back to Salem's Lot. We, 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 this will happen to us over the podcast. We will get sidetracked, but it adds to it, I think. Um, I think the original name of the book? Second Coming. Second Coming. And uh, why was it not called Second? Why did Stephen King... So this, I don't know if we could say this, but 
Why did Stephen King decide not to call the book Second Coming? Well, he was all for calling it Second Coming until mm-hmm. uh, his wife Tabitha said it sounded like a bad porno movie. A bad porno movie. So, and suppose you've seen that on the shelf, Second Coming, and a picture of a house. You wouldn't like, you know, what the hell is this? Like, but, uh, he changed it to Jerusalem's lot, but then the publishers thought it sounded too religious, and he sent Charlotte to Salem. But the characters in the book do say, oh, we live in Salem's so Shark from Jerusalem. The town is called Jerusalem's lot. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, do you remember what it was called originally? The town, yeah. Oh, before it's like yeah. uh, no, I can't know. Preacher's Corner, oh, something like that. Something yeah. like that. What was the population? <laughs> it's on the side. Do you want to know? <laughs> it was a lot less after the end of the same. It was a lot less, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it changed obviously, and then it became what it became, and the studio brought it up, and Toby Hooper agreed to make it. Um, cast a lot of child actors who would have been like in a lot of like Little House. And I, I know uh, Ralphie Cleek was in um, Little House in the Prairie. Uh, Gilligan's Island, which didn't really take off. I've never seen it in, in this side of the world. I, I, Gilligan's Island probably would have been on Sky One and then when Sky when Sky was you know Sky oh, Channel. Oh, starting out with like Trees yeah, Company. Would be like my favorite Martian and all that. Trees Company. Trace company yeah. Well, it used to show the Green Horn as well. They, all they did show the Green Horn. So um, refereed. Yeah. So that's um, I got sorry, Where are we? So let's go back to the miniseries. The town of Jerusalem's lot in the book and in, and in the miniseries was in Maine. Stephen King was born, raised in Maine, still lives in Maine, and all of his books are, are um, positioned around this fix, fictional area, you know, um, Castle Rock and, and Jerusalem's lot. And, but the miniseries itself was filmed in Ferndale, California. Yeah. Very exteriors, a lot of exteriors. Yeah, very far away from Maine. Yeah. And a lot of the exteriors and a lot of the, the filming locations are still there. Still and you know exactly that the, same. the antique shop is now an Airbnb. An Airbnb? Yeah, and you can actually sleep in the antique shop where Stryker and Barlow were setting up their business. I think I hear, I think I see a electricity take it. Uh, a tour, which tour is sponsored in, by in, Ferndale. Yeah, is, is, is there a Ferndale, uh, like, um, how we have a tour, tour island kind of thing, where encourage tourism? We'll go and do a podcast from there. Was there something about the house that, even though they were filming in Ferndale, they didn't have a proper horror, scary house? No, I, I think it cost them, I, I might be wrong, 700000 to build the facade. It was only a, it was an ordinary house at the end of it, the windy road, small house, and they built this big facade around it. I know I, I, I was reading in an interview that one guy went out to a bar and came back the next day, a few drinks on him, and looked at him and goes, how the hell did I get there? The big house, he did thought you were seeing things. But it, literally, it was just a facade, so it was just... So there wasn't actually a house it was just like held up by you know at the back of it by uh, um, pipes and wires and stuff like that just to hold it up so it, was, it wasn't actually a house there at all um, we should mention that the budget for Salem's Lot the miniseries at the time was astronomical it was four million dollars to make a TV miniseries if you take into account that the previous Stephen King uh, movie for Carrie was made for 1.8 million yeah. So for, for of its time, the the miniseries um, had a lot of money, had a lot of really really good actors, a lot of the character actors that would have been uh, famous in in the forties and fifties, um, actors like Lou Ayres, Elisha Cook Jr. All these guys play all character actors play roles in Salem's Lot very very well actually. Yeah, and some of them had worked in, with each other in the past, obviously, and they're reigniting those past roles that they would have played together. But I think Ferndale as a setting is really good. Um, like you, you, it's like a, a, an old village in time, like, and 
if, if you drove through it, you would you probably wouldn't stop because there's, there's not much to offer. It has the, the graveyard up on the hill, obviously where where uh, they bury Danny, that's famous funeral scene. So it, it overlooks the town. They, they changed the name of the, the graveyard, obviously, to say it was like what was like. So, um, yeah, I, it's something I'd love to go visit. But I'd have to say, stay in the Airbnb. I would. I don't think it. I don't think it lasted me. No. No, I don't know. So the the, the main uh, vampire, or the only the, the the leader, the master, was played by Reggie Nader, very tall, very gangly actor, and the makeup. I think I read somewhere it took four to six hours to apply. There was a, there was a, like a, he wore like a, a mask, a plastic. He wore a skull cap. Yeah, but he took it off and he said his real features looked better if they just put the makeup on him. Yeah. Because he looked, his, his actual features, I think he was in an accident with acid or there was some kind of accident that just formed his face slightly. The, and the colour, the blue, the blue, the bluish colour. Yeah, that caused like, a nightmare because uh, Toby Hooper saying, especially in the final scene, spoiler alert where uh, Ben, uh, stakes and uh, the makeup kept them coming off and cracking. It, it was cracking constantly, yeah. and as well with the um, the contact lenses, they could only be worn for about an hour. Would well, you know how they got that effect? They would use film roll and put it. See, Toby Hooper stuck this film roll that reflect, reflected light, stuck it onto the contact lenses, and it would shine 100 watt bulbs when they're filming so the light would bounce straight back. That's how they got the big yellow eyes. Oh. Yeah. But those yellow eyes were. Oh, that was that was the that was the making of it. Horrifying, terrifying, absolutely horrifying. Yeah. I think the scene where where Danny's lying in, in the coffin when he jumped in, and he opened it, and he's lying there, and he's looking around, and the eyes are open, and they're just yellow, like these things like that, you know. So that was the the final. That was scene the final. Like, he sits up. Was the part one. Part That's one. what got everybody. Yeah, the tension was building. Are they? You know what's happening? Is is it what we think it is? Is it vampires? Is it what? Absolutely, Mike Ryerson. Played by Jeffrey Lewis, yeah. the father of Juliet Lewis. Yeah. Uh, he jumps down into the coffin. He's kind of uh, almost. It like, looks like he's been. Something's whispering to him. He has semi hypnotic. Yeah, yeah he's hearing singing or something. And and I, I think it's a case of where, yeah, he was being hypnotized to a point where the sun was going down. He but was it? That's it. I, I wondered about that scene because it's still sunny. He opens the coffin. Surely there should be a scream from Danny that he's getting burned in the sun. The light, the light. Oh, plot hole. I would say that it's dusk. Yeah, okay, being generous. Being generous here, thus <laughs> he opens the coffin. Anyway, the, the the image of the child in the coffin was horrific enough. Yeah. He turn, he hears a noise behind him, he turns to the left. Oh, no, the, he looks okay. back and the vampire is facing him and the vampire bites him. Yeah. And it's just uh, it's 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 our ultimate it's, cliffhanger. It's the well it is the cliffhanger, it just stops and that's the end of part and that music kicks and in. And then you have to wait. Yeah, you have to wait for, you know, twenty four hours. Unless you have a video. Player. It, 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 well, it, it went out then, that went out on the Monday and it aired then again on, on the Wednesday. So in America, there's a, a gap of a week. But in, in, in the UK, there was only a few days of a gap. So people, I do remember my father trying to furiously figure out when the hell the next episode was on because he didn't want to miss it. Yeah. See, so he couldn't record it, so you had to make sure you were there to watch it. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, so like three hours long, it's not a short, uh, it's not a short watch. It, it's 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 actually something I wouldn't recommend anybody watching one go. I think you should watch. Not made to. You should sit on and think of that first half what went before. Yeah. Stew on it, and then go to the second one. No, no, because if, if you watch it in one big sitting, you will drift. I would imagine that the slower scenes will have you waiting for the scenes to come up. But it, like when I went to see it in the cinema time, there was people who had not seen it. So there was a lady, and like, this cinema serves a couple of beers. So obviously, a few people had a few beers. So I was grand. I was driving, but my two nephews were with me who were who had, who had seen it only on the small screen. And they were kind of loving it, but there was a lady in front of me who was screaming like at the, and that scene when he set up and he 
Well, she hopped out of the chair and she get me out of here. She, and I, I, well, I got more of a laugh at the fact that she had never seen it. Because yeah. uh, the majority of that audience had seen it. They must have because, I mean, I know it was a Stephen King um, festival over Halloween. But a lot of the people there were very Asian who would have seen that as kids. Anyone going in to watch, like, I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the country at the time. But I would have been there with bells and whistles on. Yeah, and anyone who would have been a fan of Salem's Law or a fan of Stephen King, and especially a fan of his writing of, of, the, of the film. Some of the films are hit and miss, but absolutely should have known what they were going in for yeah yeah so i would say what you're just describing there i'd say her boyfriend was the fan oh come on yeah you like no, this Grant, it's not that scary yeah it's not yeah. That but scary. she wasn't that young though. Yeah. Yeah. but um it did add to it it did add to it again it was the shortcut so it, it, it was what it was but um i'd like it, 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 i was all set in for the whole three hour epic like and then i knew where the cuts was going to be home in time for bed i was going to make the car park yeah so the the main vampire, uh, his minder, his protector, what's the, the correct word, his ward? Yeah, his uh, enforcer. Enforcer was played by uh, the English character actor James Mason. Which was a big coup at the time to get an Big coup, James Mason, very, very popular. Big chops in the movie. Um, very, very distinctive voice. Master? That is the master? Now, what was the, he had a little clause on his contract though. So the clause in the contract was that towards definitely towards the later part of his life than any film he was making his wife had to also have a part yes and she obviously had a part as marjorie glick yeah the mother a, of and that's glick. another key scene where but she you know what? she him. is she is very good she wakes up in the in the in the in the mortuary yeah again spoiler alert if you haven't she has seen the awakening it's calling for danny and ralph isn't she where are you danny danny darling um <laughs> It's a, uh, it's, it's an Australian actress. Does it, does the accent well? She was Australian. Yeah, but um, James Mason, uh, very, very well known actor. Very known more so for his role in uh, Lolita, very controversial yeah, yeah. film of it, of its time. But to get uh, lots of war films, lots of war films. But to get uh, someone of his standing, but he's to, sinister in the yeah, role. To, to be in a TV, yeah, he's sinister in it though. He did say that he would work only if the script was good. And he obviously thought it was a good script. Some of the lines he has in it, you know, I think it's when, um, you know, we'd love to meet, uh, you know, Mr. Right. Straker. Kurt, it's Kurt, Kurt Barlow, Kurt with a, a K. Yeah. He, he, what's it? he will enjoy you, well, he will enjoy me. He will enjoy me. He will enjoy, enjoy you. And he will enjoy you. Yeah, so you have that, yeah, medium rare. There's a, a scene towards the end, as I said, we we both re-watched Salem's Lot over the last 24, 48 hours, just to have it refreshed in the brain. And the scene where there's a scene where Mark and Susan go into the the uh, the Marsden house, which is the the, the big evil house overlooking. Which is why I'm not trying to talk. Do you think it's a few films in one? It's the haunted house. It's the vampires. It's and the it's, romance. Yeah, it's it's raw. It's, it's yeah, and then it's the small town like the gossip that strangers coming in. Who are these strangers coming yeah. in here? It could be about anything. Like I mean, and and the, I, I'm sorry, you know, you can go back to that. But even while it's in my head. Like, take a COVID today. Like, the vampire, it was like a virus they were getting, and they looked sick. Like, if you think of this, like, they looked pale and deadly as vampires. They didn't look like you think of uh, Interview the Vampire, where you know, beautiful, handsome, and beautiful vampires. Where these were deadly looking and yeah. horrific. Well, the scene where James Mason's wife wakes up in the mortuary, uh, David Soul, or no, sorry, David Soul, Ed Flanders, uh, Bill, Dr. Bill Norton, cuts her with a scalpel. That's right. And it looks like he's cutting into into because it opens up really well. Opens up, yeah. So I was saying James Mason was in the house. Sorry, Susan and Mark go in. Mark's 
distraught the main vampire has killed his parents there's going to be a lot of spoilers in here so yeah again I think it's our listening to this too, yeah, yeah so and he, he said and the one thing he screams the main vampire with, with venom I am going to kill you yeah and he leaves and, and that's in the house that's in his house yeah. I mean towards I'm just talking about some of the great lines that James Mason had in in the yeah, such a almost without saying anything you know his, his presence yeah he, he knocks Mark out and he just looks at Susan and he says come now you know come with me yeah. very calmly it absolutely it was it was it was the, the, the tension was palpable you know? but when, when Mark was trying to get into that house I was terrified I was like, what the hell are you trying to do would, I, I would not at that age big plot hole yeah, be trying to get into there. I would not. Would you go? You'd be getting out dodge. Like, you wouldn't be hanging around, because like would a young man, like a young kid, like him, be able to kill him? Like he looks seven foot on the screen. So yeah, look, I agree with you. But think about this: you're an only child, and this fucker has just killed your parents. What was? It always struck me that he hadn't got a close relationship with the father. He was kind of wound up in his, wrapped up in his horror. And I remember the father was saying to him, "When are you going to get over all this yeah. stuff?" And I was, there was always that coldness in it, I thought. The father says to him, you know, I, I just worry that you're, you're, not, you're not going to be able to make a living. And he goes, I'll make a living. Yeah. But, you know, don't worry about me. Then again, that could be Stephen King, you know, teen, yeah. you know, that's himself growing up and having that. I know his mother was a very, uh, she would encourage him to read and give him trash. And she's the one that got him with a copy of Dracula yeah. out of the library. So his mother very much would, even though she didn't agree with the stuff that he wanted to read, those pulp novels, or, yeah. you know, she would get them for him. Yeah. You know, him and his, uh, sister, his brother, he's a brother. Yeah. Um, she would buy them for him, and he goes, Jesus, another one. But yeah, she would buy them for him and, uh, you know, encourage, encourage him to just read, because reading broadens the mind. Yeah, and uh, she was a, an avid reader herself, uh, as Mr. King addresses all his dear avid readers. But she was, she would, he, he said before, like she would, if she had 100 pages left, she'd open up her cigarettes and sit there and clout her that book, and then toss it aside and go, oh, trash. Yeah, so I have to say, I'm a bit like that, except for the cigarettes. Now, I wouldn't be I'm not as avid as I was now the last oh, more magazines um, but I found my t- new uh, audiobooks audiobooks so yeah. growing up as you know I was a ferocious reader it wouldn't it wouldn't be outside of the norm to read two books in a week if not three so I remember you giving me the stand and saying here read that, <laughs> read that. I want them back in a week and it was about like over a thousand pages yeah I want yeah. them back in a week um, and then obviously you know life gets in the way and wives and partners get in the way and children get in the way and i realized about I don't know, about eight years ago that i hadn't read a book in probably two years and so the kindle was the best and i, I don't have one of those um kindle fires you know like a tablet this is just a kindle it's yeah. just books nothing else nothing more and I, I i i go through periods i go through periods where i read just nothing but horror and i go through periods then where it'll be um you know, biographies or you know, fact-based stuff. From the subject of biographies, like, I, I got in all the research, there wasn't very much written about, uh, or not much interviews with the cast of Sam's Lot. It's like it happened. Maybe that people think that happened so long ago. Well, it's it's of its time, nineteen seventies. Yeah. But it, it's very hard to find even of its time interviews or like I, I went looking for behind the scenes photographs. I sent some on there. I put them on the, I, t- I did. I put them on the Facebook page. So, the, but there's very little interviews with even I, I Google David Salt talking to Sam Zell, there's absolutely nothing. Uh, Toby Hooper speaks about it a small bit on a YouTube interview he did, but it's very hard to get uh, a lot of even the younger actors who are in it to talk about it. 
So that's an avenue I'd love to hear from yeah. actors who are in it to speak about and you know how it was filming that. Were they allowed to, like they were only kids? Like were they allowed to see now they're dressed up as the as the as as, uh, as Mr. Barlow? Were they allowed to see that? Like when they're fr- and did it, like if they look themselves in the mirror with them contact lenses and their hair and their face, scary looking like. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the you know I know today on sets you've got you know minders you've got you know schools on sets the twin it's your most films the kids use are twins so you'd wonder you know yeah and th- these guys I mean the guy the actor played Ralphie Glick uh, Ron Scrivener he probably only eleven yeah was he even eleven looked like a ten or eleven yeah um but yeah you I wonder even if there was a, a screening were they allowed to watch it well I know that um. There was the actors who would, would shoot it in, in parts. So you've done your part. Good luck and see how here nice working with you. And a lot of them never got to see the vampire and the scary bits and stuff, you know. I'd say probably David Saul was probably in the heart of most of that. Um but then when it was a screening, a lot of them got the same scares. I know Julie Cobb, she talks about that she the she's seen the finished article at the screening, uh, in the big screen, she screened it for them and like, she was jumping out of the seat because she only screened obviously the bits that she was in, the reception and, and, and working and running out of the house and having the affair and she left she she actually got out of Dodge well her and her husband left Sam's lot she went out with a black guy which you know we're not condoning wife beating but she she, she they got out with a good time they left before the shit hit the fan the, uh, the, the, the just the overall premise it's a sense of dread David Soul's driving down the street and there's an overturned tricycle on the side of the road yeah. and you're wondering what the hell happened there like, it's just left there even when he goes to the uh to the, ch- the chapel after to get holy water because he knows he has to face this this vampire menace yeah and is anybody in there no like the father Callahan is um is, is is he's gone I think it's employed in the in the in the miniseries that the master killed killed, killed him. converted him I would imagine well converted him or at least you know yeah yeah bit him. Bit him. I know in the book it's a different uh, a different premise that the uh, he just made him lose his faith and he infected him but she carries true into Stephen King's the, 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 that character yeah the character. The char- I've never read the books now I've read yeah. pretty much everything that Stephen King has written except the I, Dark I, Tower I didn't get into that I didn't like and Father Callahan, who's the priest in Salem's Lot um, has a very big role a pivotal role don't ask me what it is because I don't know but I know that that character is in a series of Stephen King Dark Tower novels The Gunslinger Roland the Shame yeah, yeah. he made a movie about yeah. it yeah he, well, he lost his faith because that's why it's cross remember so that's I mean again talking about uh, faith when so two, two aspects of, of faith being the the your protector in the miniseries of Salem's Lot when the head vampire Kurt Baller comes to kill Mark Petrie's parents he has marked by the neck, yeah. and the priest has the the priest has the crucifix, and James Mason says, "You know, your faith against the master's faith, to make a deal, shaman yeah. priest, holy man, yeah. is your faith strong enough?" He lets Mark go, and the master walks over and puts his hand on the crucifix, yeah. breaks it, but well, he just throws it on the ground. Yeah. Look bent, they look bent. Yeah, it no, power. it had no power over him because the priest had lost. His faith. He has no faith in that talisman in his hand. The scene that we spoke about earlier on where Ben Mears and um, uh, Bill Norton go to the mortuary because Danny Glick's mother has died and they want to see for ultimate, ultimate proof if it's a vampire. You know, they're they're just, it's all speculative, you know, because of all of the the clues that it's vampirism. 
uh, and you know, the doctor leaves the room and David Soul gets two wooden sticks the, 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 the tons, for checking yeah, your tonsils for checking your tonsils and he starts taping them together in the form of a crucifix and she starts it, shaking the it, thing, it, yeah. it's mentioned during the film that when Ben Mears mentions a crucifix he said I haven't got a crucifix I was raised Baptist yeah, so you have all these different religions religion but now he's making a, a you know a, a Christian crucifix Christian yeah. uh, Catholic symbol of, of of holiness and he starts reciting you know as I walk through the valley of the yeah. shadow of death that whole um, speech yeah. from the Bible and he's putting his faith into this crucifix so when Marjorie Glick rises from the dead you know Danny Danny darling where are you Danny and God she looks fucking dreadful <laughs> she looks she actually looks yeah, like a corpse scary, yeah. when she comes towards him he's screaming he says, as I walk through the valley Bill yeah, he's and I, up, yeah. I shall free him Bill where the fuck are you <laughs> and he comes in and he puts the crucifix on her head and she screams and it burns her yeah. is because he now was putting his faith into that talisman. So it's faith against your faith against his, yeah. the master's faith. So it, it could be used as an analogy there that, you know. Did, did I get too highbrow? All, 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 like, <laughs> and like, you know, religions should embrace these movies because it, it gives a, pom a positive aspect that if you have a good faith, it will conquer evil. You know, no matter what your religion. Yeah, that yeah, if, yeah. if you have a good faith and a good belief in it, that it will conquer evil. And you know, you get these people say, well, that's a film, that's a, that's a Satanist film. Yeah. But... For religions to prosper, they need films like that to show that in order to, to, to if there is religion, if there is a god, then there is a devil, and if there's a devil, then it has to be a god. So for every yin, yeah, yeah, so they have to be that. And the horror films kind of will kind of reinforce the, the positive positivity of so, religions. And that's a, a, another aspect of the Salem's Lot miniseries. So if you watch, if you watch a, a vampire movie, even vampire movies that are set in present day, oh, there's a vampire. How are, how are we going to kill him? It's never mentioned, you know, they almost have to find out. No one ever says, well, we've all seen Dracula. It's been around for a hundred years. Mm. Whereas in the miniseries of Salem's Lot, they, when, once they realize that it, it, they don't mention Dracula, but once they realize that it's a vampire, they know, okay, we need holy water and we need a wooden stake. Yeah. Whereas it has, it's traditional that remember to put, put the garlic around the house. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and you have to be invited in. Like, it's not like today where a vampire just out the window and drives yeah. from the hill. They have to be invited into the house. I mean, and that's what, that's, um, I remember watching um, with my brother years ago one of my younger brothers oh, hold on the, when uh, Jason the, the teacher the old teacher Jason Bork invites he meets the um, the grave digger yeah. in, in the local bar and yeah. he's sick he goes you look sick yeah. why don't you go back to my house saying sweet music yeah you can, yeah. Say, you can say you can stay in my house and I'll take care of you just until you we'll call a doctor breaching every code yeah. the teacher's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> an old pupil come stay in my house I'm not married yeah. um, and when they find Mike Gerson dead in the bed and the the, the, the bite yeah, the hand missing. flops onto the yeah they're, they're missing from his neck the next night um, Jason Bork the Wait, teacher he invited them in yeah. he invited them in but my mother, how is he sitting in his house a vampire has to be invited well, in well he was he was torn he was, he, he was already yeah he was yeah. already well sick. on that train of thought how did Barlow get into Mark's house that's a plot hole no, the, 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 he just comes up through the ground. Yeah. How did he get into the hills? How did he get into the prison to kill Ned? Uh, it's, it's a plot hole. Tibbets. You know, the fact that we're talking about this 40 years yeah. later means that they've done it. And we've looked at it so much that, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and you, you just, you, these scenes are coming in, like, and obviously Ralphie, I think, was the first in the town to be converted. Was he? Or was it, was it uh, the real estate guy again? I can't remember. Crockett. Crockett. Larry Larry the Crockett. House, into the Into the big claw. 
I would say he was the first to be bitten. Larry Crockett was the first to be bitten. Because he goes back to the house then. He goes, he got, yeah. And then, the, then Ralphie's Ralphie name. Glick um, goes missing in the woods. And the big the, the big black shadow that comes up at Ralphie That's is amazing. actually James Mason. Yeah, and yeah, I, I always think it was the vampire, but it's yeah, not. No, no. And, but the size of the, the body that he's holding, it's tiny. Like, when he, saying, did, when did he carries he, the body to the basement. Now, we know from later on that he's superhuman strength that he um, lifts up and flanders and pushes them into the, the like, they look like uh, horns or something. Horns, you know, yeah. In a, like, so, um, had he got the super strength to bend over a body, but when he opens up, he looks, and another plot hole, he dies in his clothes. How come he's in his pajamas when he knocks out his brother's window? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Unless, you know, James Mason, Mr. Straker, washed him and prepared him. Went back to the house, got his pajamas. It doesn't have to be his pajamas. Yeah, and it's, it's, these are plot holes. Parallel, can I cut pajamas? And, and again, you know, these are plot holes that we're, we, I know me and you have discussed yeah. previously. Another uh, plot hole for me was when Mark Petrie is breaking into the Marsden house. He breaks in through the basement. And he, he picks the lock. He gets into the basement. And Susan follows him into the house. She finds him upstairs. But subsequently, when Ben comes into the house and they open the door to the basement, Mark falls because there's no stairs. The stairs have been cut away. So were we supposed to think that Straker cut those stairs away in that half hour period? I remember Barrow, he, he wrecked the box he was in like he broke free. Could he have wrecked the whole place in a temper to get blood? But very much over how did Mark get out of the basement? Yeah. He broke into the house through the basement. Yeah. He, is he talking about two of them open outdoors? Yeah. Do you see the still, um, there's a still of Barlow coming through those stairs? Yeah. Yeah. That was obviously, that, that didn't get released. That, that's another, I know again, stuff that we've... But if he can come up, if he can come up through the floor and do that, kind of thing where he looked like you know a ghost and he comes up to his cloak and he gets bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger and everybody's looking at him he didn't need to be invited in so why would he why couldn't he just transport himself to so the talk, the, the talk is right the talk is that um could follow the main vampire is is ancient and he's much more stronger and that clause of the invitation doesn't hold him that he's been around so long that's how he's able to kind of almost defeat the priest that uh, he's that confident, he you know he knows what he can do. Um, he has a belief in his ability, in his faith, in his, his faith. power. Yeah. yeah. So that the, the that that is a train of thought amongst people who discuss the film that um, that Kurt Barlow was so ancient and so powerful that the invitation doesn't mean anything to him. He can just go wherever he wants. Well, why would he have and to be why, why would he have to be transported then? Why would the two boys have to go collect them? Well I'm sure if someone's seen him walking down the street to get a bus. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he comes up in Mark's house like that shapeshifter comes up to the floor. Yeah. Why can you say, okay, I'll head to Jerusalem's lot now and do that kind of shapeshifter and pop up in Jerusalem's lot? The film wouldn't have been half as good. It wouldn't have been half as good. <laughs> no. We probably wouldn't be sitting here talking yeah. about it, right? Maybe we should have been writing that screen. Yeah. I mean, we could have cut it down to maybe two hours. But uh and also the house, the Marsden house, um he borrowed the, the house is the house from Psycho apparently yeah the image um, the image of Psycho is, uh, yeah, is yeah, the, yeah. but the interior the interior was the house from Psycho they, bought, you know, they, they took it from a set so they recycled it the Psycho set and the, the, the stairs was from the Maltese Falcon the, the movie the Maltese Falcon so like they always did that in Hollywood they would recycle old sets and rejig them up a bit so I, when, as part of the rewatching of it again I remember that one of the biggest fears I had of that, of that whole thing it was the fact when when Ben and Mark and Susan, the daughter, they're in the house. That the house is so dirty. 
and I don't mean I've got a you know a phobia of dirty houses. Howard Hughes. Yeah, Howard Hughes. No, but I mean this guy Straker has been living in the house for a couple of weeks, and that's obviously part of the the whole. It's layers of dirt and grime and moss. The house has been left empty. Nobody in the town wanted anything to do with the house for the last you know I don't know, 80, 70, 80 years, and I was thinking of that guy. Even though he's an evil character, but he's you're talking about whether you would sleep in the B&B that the film was even based on. I was thinking, how could anyone go to sleep? Yeah. And that helped, that freaked me out. Even this morning, you know, I was looking at it again, you know? Yeah. And all that was rats in the drawers. and remember? Rats in the drawers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the, the talk of the Marsden house, that Marsden was supposed to be like a, a pedophile and you didn't feed with children. That, that was the premise of the book. Yeah. yeah. That was the, so the, in, in, in the book, the letters that are written between Hubie Marsden and it's, it obviously is uh, Straker using a different name and Hubie Marston saying listen you know, if you want a bit of fun come over here you know I think I've already killed two kids and and you know Straker saying well is this town in the middle of New England I will go with my master and yeah, <laughs> take over him um, yeah so uh, even when the Stephen King is describing where he, he goes in and sees the body of or Stephen King sorry David Sullivan when he sees the body of uh, Marston hanging and the eyes glare him I always wondered was he did he become a vampire? Because remember he says, those eyes stared into my soul. Like, you know, remember he's looking. And he Probably moved. the luminous. Yeah, I'm wondering, is it, well, I always thought that from that description that Saul gave, or Ben Myers gives, that he's, uh, that he had, that Marston had become a vampire. And maybe he had already sold a soul to Barlow. Yeah. Perhaps not. Yeah, well, it's, 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 a, it's, it's worth talking about. I mean, there's, there's so much um, extra um, material has been written. You know, there's, there's a short story, One for the Road, I think it is, which is set around a car that breaks down outside oh, Jerusalem's right, yeah. lot. There is the, um, there's a TV show being made now with, um, what's the guy from The Penist? Aiden, Aiden. The guy from The Penist. Yeah. Uh, he, he's going to be playing Hubie Marston, I think, in, in, a, in a, a, a TV show based on the, the, the pre- Oh, bit, oh that'd be good. That'd yeah, be and the girl from Shit's Creek. Stevie, I can't think of her name. Okay. Uh, no, obviously that's been delayed due to the COVID, but there's still such a massive interest. Uh, I've never watched Castle Rock. Is there any? Yes, season two, Castle Rock. I kind of I, I watched it all yet, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the Marsden House is in it. Doesn't okay. If you're a fan of Stephen King, you will like it. There's elements of different parts. So of it's a couple scene. of Easter eggs hidden around it. A lot of Easter eggs. A lot. Uh, like Annie Wilkes is in it, you know. Okay, yeah, Misery, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. the nurse. But she's now in Jerusalem's lot. And, you know, it's all, right. all that kind of stuff. So, um, so... so oh, just... Yeah, to tell you, Derek, just, I think, like, it ends uh, on a quite sad note. Well, before, when, when he... He finds that she's turned to vampire and he goes to kiss her and her eyes open uh, his wife, his girlfriend, uh, Ben, uh, Bonnie Bedina. Oh, kiss kiss me, you know, yeah. we can be young forever. Yeah. But he and he stakes her and uh, so that, that was quite and then it goes back to the church with the glowing bottles. So it shows that they're continuously running. Yeah. And now before when that ended, it's left like that because they had planned to make a miniseries, a weekly show called Sam's Law. And it would follow them around and they're being chased by the vampires and never it never happened. Well, I'm glad it didn't happen. Yeah, oh, me too. Would have ruined the whole mistake. Yeah, would have ruined the whole mistake. Yeah. Um, like the the actor who played um, Mark Petrie, Lance Kirwan, yeah. of his day was kind of like a like a sex symbol. A lot of, a lot of the young actors in it were teen yeah. idols. He he um he, you know he he was in very famous TV show. A lot of American shows that didn't make it across here. They were in like even uh, 
Danny would, would have been on a lot of American shows that wouldn't have made it across, but would be big child stars over there. I think he's in a rock band now, isn't he, Danny? Danny yeah. Glick. Yeah, he's a rock band. Brad Savage. Brad Savage, he's a singer in a rock band. He'd done Red Dawn. And I, think, I think his name was Danny. Danny in Red Dawn. In Red Dawn. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, Mark Petrie, uh, Lance, uh, he never acted again. I don't think he did a few small. He was in, sorry, he was in, in Enemy Mine. Yeah, but he had a, a bigger role and it was, um, he just showed his death in it, but the role was much, we went back thinking back in time and that was cut. Um, uh, Ralphie, I know he uh, he tried a few more films and didn't work. So a lot of the child stars, they're probably all now probably best known for Salem's Lot. Yeah. Uh, and and they, they, David Saul still has, he made a few movies, but can you name another David Saul movie? Probably not. No. No. And, uh, I know he, he actually went down the miniseries route. He, he became very prolific in the 80s and early 90s, making successful miniseries. But... Um, no. So probably Bonnie Bedina was probably the biggest one which was the Die Hards. The Die Hards. And that was it. Oh Fred Willard. I'm a Mason, of course. Yeah. You know, Will- Fred, James Will- May, but Fred Willard, uh, Larry Crockett, yeah. the comedic actor, part of the whole Christopher Guest, you know, that spinal tap and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for your consideration. Yeah. And ended up being uh, the father or the grandfather in Modern Family. Only died, died this recently. year and yeah. it was very, very sad. Very, very, very funny actor. A lot right. of like the the composer uh, Harry Sukman died not long after a few years after uh, he 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 won an Emmy for the music. Um, Reggie Alder died not too long after. I know he was very disappointed because there was a lot more footage filmed with him as Barrel that wasn't used. I'm glad they didn't use it because I think less is more. It's like Jaws, you know. If you've seen Barlow in every second scene, the dramatic effect will wear off pretty quick. You know, it's a blue faced, horrible teeth. I, I think the um. The reveal, the reveal of Straker was just brilliant and it was well done and it was just enough. Straker or Barlow? Barlow. Barlow. Yeah. Kurt Barlow. In the prison cell. That. In the prison cell. Yeah. yeah. He just opens the, the, the gate with a flick of the hand. The, the cell. Tell it. Yeah. Flying and he wakes up and, and you hear that. It, it was kind of like an electric sound as he's screaming at the screen where he goes, a high emitting noise. So, well, that was our discussion on Sam's. And it's only part one. We do hope to bring part two to you quite soon, and it's a, a big surprise. We're not going yeah, to say so anything yet. Cool. We're going to sit in our hands till we have it recorded, and once it's recorded, we'll make the announcement. But uh, I'm sure there's lots of Salem's Law fans out there, and I'm sure we got lots of facts. Maybe a bit wrong. Maybe a bit wrong. So please feel free and be gentle on us. Drop us a line. Uh, and also, again, I've already got a couple of quests for movies. Um, Stan sent in there for the Explorers and... Uh, something for the stars I, I'll look for that one Battle Beyond Battle Beyond the stars so we look at them perhaps but uh, anything else you like to add Derek? No just as, as as you said we have this is only part one of the Salem's Lot podcast uh, part two is coming very soon we have an announcement uh, that we're kind of sitting on We've been working very hard I'm, I was up all hours Derek and we've been talking all night and we have um, something lined up and we're dying to tell you all and we're dying to shout from the rooftops but once we get it on, on tape as you say Press pause and record. Once we get it on tape, we'll make the announcement. But we're very, we're both very, very excited. Yeah, so part two is going to be coming in a couple of weeks. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to try our best to um, knock out about two podcasts a week. Uh, it's not always going to be about movies and films. It's going to be about music. It's going to be about um, you know books, plays, anything really that we find interesting. And what we also hope to do is, separate to all of the m- m- movies and books and films, is kind of like local heroes 
Yeah. Anyone from the area, or even in your area, Coolock and or, or Cork, Kerry, Wexford, yeah. anyone who you think would be interested or would interest us in interviewing. I mean, to give you an example, one of the, the top female comedians in Ireland at the moment uh, lives across the road from, from the mother, studios. From right across the road from the Leave It to Christy, Let Christy Take It studio. And that's the first mention of the studios in this year. You're, you're getting good at this. <laughs> and like we grew up, the house right next door to me, uh, a boxing world champion lived there. So like there's a lot of really, really interesting characters and people who went on to do, you know, very significant and have, still have significant things to achieve in, in Ireland. And we hope, if possible, if we're lucky, to get them sit down for about 40 to 45 minutes and to discuss their career and discuss you know their achievements and what they plan what they have coming up next and that's we all you, to come we thought you'd leave you on a kind of a happy note after all that talk of death and vampires and death blood and, vampires. and religion and uh but yeah as Derek was saying uh, also characters you know Clodagh and you had Jamesy on his bike and all these fellas like, talk about characters like that there's lots of characters around so that's another angle and we'll do small episodes on that like this is a long episode because we're very passionate about Salem's Law but sleep's tight tonight, and if you hear a knocking at your window, don't open it. Thanks very much. Bye.